0: Is up. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in for the guys for the next couple of weeks. Halford and Bruff Brough brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Six fifty. Six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Get your What We Learn submissions in coming up at 8.30, hashtag WWL, into the 650, uh, 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. But right now, I'm very, very excited to be joined by our next guest. Excited anytime I get to talk to our next guest, but especially right now, where not only are we about a week away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, but also massive weekend in the world of movies today. And to talk about that, all of that, uh, he is from the MLB Network and also the host of the Cinephile Podcast, our guy, Adnan Virk. Adnan, thanks as always for doing this. How are you? Uh, Jamie, thanks so
1: much, man. I appreciate getting Good to talk with you in Israel, as always. And yeah, lots of great baseball to talk about. I'm sure we're going to dive into Barbenheimer at some point, too.
0: I, I, I'm going to start there, honestly, because, uh, you know, it was, it was a big... Uh, the buzz around these two movies was really, really impressive. Now, I haven't had a chance to see either Barbie or Oppenheimer. Have you had a chance to see one or both of them so far, Adnan?
1: Yeah, I dove into both this week, and I was not... Uh... I find it very peculiar all these people who want to do Barbenheimer in one day. I just had no appetite for it and, quite <laughs> frankly, no resources because with four kids, yes. I couldn't just leave my wife for six hours as long as I going to go watch a couple of movies. But e- even on its own merit, I'm like, no, but there's such different movies. Why would I want to cram them into one session? You know, it's so rare to get these kind of movies at the theater which are original, even though it's based on IP, intellectual property, bar- Barbie's obviously a doll, but there's never been a movie like this, and obviously Oppenheimer's an original creation from Nolan. I'm like, no, no. When I get these kind of movies, I want to soak it in on one day individually. So, oddly though, I was have said I'm all the *Team Oppenheimer*, but I had the Saturday off, and a friend of mine really wanted to see *Oppenheimer* with me. We'd seen *Dunkirk* together, mm-hmm. so I never do this. Normally, I couldn't care less, but I always see it when I just see it by myself. But my wife really wanted to see *Barbie*, so oddly, I actually saw *Barbie* first, which I saw Saturday afternoon, and then I saw *Oppenheimer* last night and IMAX after the uh, the Hall of Fame ceremonies, which I was uh, doing stuff for MLB Network. So. Really cool. Um, let's go over Oppenheimer first. I, I thought it was incredible. I, I, I went up with sky-high expectations, as I always do for Christopher Nolan movies, and I'd seen the 94% Rotten Tomatoes. I said, well, don't get swayed by that. Just watch it on its own merit, and I thought it was just fabulous. It's very densely plotted. It's intricate. It's very talky. In, in those ways, it's unlike some of other Nolan's films. I think people who may love, let's say, Inception of the Dark Knight may not cling to Oppenheimer. This is the first time he's made a really true biography. But as somebody who appreciates history and historical epics, and still, of course, he's going to give you tons of Nolan showmanship and razzle-dazzle, particularly that scene where they're building the atomic bomb, I thought it was fascinating. And the highest compliment I can pay it is after the movie's over, not only am I still thinking about it today, but I want to go read up as much as I can about the real Oppenheimer and the, the characters who Robert Downey Jr. is playing and Jason Clarke and Emily Blunt's all the other characters. So uh, I thought it was tremendous. It really was. And, and it, it demands to be seen on the big screen. I had a friend of mine who messaged me, so I might watch it on a plane. I said, are you insane? I said, no one would be aghast at the idea of you watching a plane. I said, you've got to, I paid $24. I watched it in IMAX. You've got to go see it on the biggest screen possible. I don't know if I'll have time to see it the second time on the big screen, but if I could, I would. Uh, And Barbie, listen, the first half I thought was light and frilly. I thought the second half started to get a little preachy, a little ham-handed. But it was definitely unique and uh, a little strange, which I appreciate. Greta Gerberg's a really talented writer-director. I love Lady Bird. I thought *Little Women* was a really good adaptation, so I knew with a director like that it was going to be different. This is not just going to be an advertisement for Barbie, and it's a really good cast. Margot Robbie, obviously, I, I thought Ryan Gosling's role is tough because not to give anything away, but men are kind of demonized in the movie, so he's kind of playing <laughs> the bad guy here. And I thought Gosling did a really good job of, you know, showing the dopey Ken and how he believes in patriarchy and men should rule the world, all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> listen, I, I have to say all of that with a grain of salt, saying I'm clearly not the Barbie audience. I walked in. Everyone is 15-year-old girls, and I said, okay, this movie is not made for a 44-year-old man. But if I can judge it as a film critic and separate from from my own prism, like I'm not going to watch Barbie again. I wouldn't want to see Barbie with anybody. But for that target audience and what it's trying to accomplish, I thought it was different and unique, and I, I thought it was all right. I, I would say uh, I went in with small expectations. It was better than expected. And, and Oppenheimer, I had high expectations, and they exceeded them as such a thing as possible.
2: You, so you mentioned uh, the Barbie crowd uh, and, and a lot of younger girls. Uh, the Oppenheimer crowd, I'm, I'm sure, was, was not like that. But it, I think it shows that <laughs> this weekend there was something for, for everybody. Did you notice that? I know you, you watch tons of movies oh, you yeah. go to the theater often. Did you notice a specific vibe of both days that you were there for, for these two movies to, to get people back to the theaters and uh, at least enjoying these two movies or, or taking in these two cultural phenomenons, really?
1: No, 100% as well, and that was something that I was really happy to see. Like with the Barbie movie, um, I would bought the tickets for Oppenheimer on Tuesday for last night. So, you know, think about it, Sunday, 6.30 show, and at that time, it was already like 80% sold out. And I said, wow, that's incredible. Like I know IMAX, there's less theaters and, mm. and less seating, but still, I mean, to, to be already close to selling out five days in advance on a Sunday night is pretty shocking. And for Barbie, my wife wanted to see it with a couple other couples, and she said, what if it sells up? I said, no, my, my local theater here." In, Ridgewood, New Jersey, never sells out. And I was like, oh, will just go check just in case. And sure enough, I bought tickets on the Friday for Saturday. And they, the Friday night show, it was sold out, 7.40, the 5 o'clock, close to selling. And I said, wow, I've been here living here for four years. I've never heard of a movie selling out. So I was just thrilled to see, uh, as you said, a guy who sees so many movies in the theater and a real genuine cinephile and a movie lover to see people going to the movies in droves. But yeah, the audience, and by the way, I did get into the groove. I wore a pink golf shirt and pink shorts. And my wife said, I think it's a little there bit There you much. go. I said, Are you kidding? I said, "What else can I wear pink to a movie? And I'm <laughs> totally going to fit in. I was, I was clearly the oldest person in the theater by a mile. Again, it was all 16-year-old girls. And then me showing up all pink. But I said, when she wanted to post it, I said, no, we're not going to post it on social media. That's going too far. But We're all pink. Um, but yeah, it was great to see like I said, a theater pack. And often I have a crowd much different. I was thrilled and elated. My whole night was made. I was waiting in line for some chicken tenders. And the guy said to me, I me and I said, yeah, he goes, I'm a huge fan of the I said, oh, my God, thank you for listening to my podcast. So I already I was thrilled that somebody was listening to my pod about to go see Oppenheimer. So, but yeah, definitely crowd, more male audience for sure. I would say more. But again, age group wasn't as much. I mean, I, he was probably in his early 20s. And obviously, I'm in my mid-40s. So that, that crowd was definitely all over the place, but definitely more male heavy. Whereas the, the Barbie crowd was a bunch of screaming young girls. But thankfully, they, they weren't like... Uh, they weren't like, disruptive. Like, i actually seen <laughs> with my kids at Super... Right? Like, I've seen, like, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And it's like, no, the kids are disruptive. You can't enjoy the movies. They're too damn loud. The girls were, were well-behaved, so to speak. They are just enjoying their Barbie.
0: Um, th- that's good to hear. Um, so... I mean, there has been a lot of talk, and I'll do one more movie question before we get into the actual sports here, but there has been a lot of talk, you know, because we're so used to the era of Hollywood and, you know, reboots and sequels and superhero movies, et cetera, et cetera, and look, as you said, these are, you know, these are based on IP, certainly Barbie, obviously, and Oppenheimer is a a, a well-known uh, individual that's a bi- a biopic here, but there's been a lot of talk that this is kind of maybe going to be, pointing towards a new direction for Hollywood. Are you buying that at all, that we're going to see maybe more original big-time movies like this get made?
1: I don't know if I go to that extent. I mean, we're still in a Hollywood where, if you look at the top two movies from last year, the vast majority are sequels, right, which is what... It's always yeah. so offensive to me because you, you rarely are going to get a sequel that's any good. I mean, with the exception, and I'm always points to, well, Godfather two, okay, yeah, there's one every fifty years. Yeah. Godfather two, fine. Empire Strikes Back, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, sure. Like, there's a few that are actually good. I got that, but generally speaking, you're talking about Caddyshack too. Like, once you once you go to the second one, it's going to be watered down and, and, and not nearly as impressive. And you know, I've just always said about superhero movies. My brother loves superhero movies, and of course, my kids love superhero movies, and I've got nothing personal against them, but I'm on Team Scorsese. I just find them. Overly saturated. There's just so many of them. After a while, it just kind of blends together. It's tough to make an original one. And of course, silly me, the one that I actually liked was The Flash, and that one didn't do well at the box office. Maybe I just loved Michael Keaton and seeing him back as Batman. But um, no, I, I don't think you're going to see this. That's why I think this is such an anomaly. Like mm. it's so rare to see. Again, no one's the kind of filmmaker that has a hundred million dollar budget. He's making a historical epic about a guy from 80 years ago. Like that movie's not getting greenlit by anybody unless you're Christopher Nolan. My favorite director, of course, Martin Scorsese. The, the trailer last night was for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm counting down the days until October. You know, only Marty is getting a $200 million budget for a story about the Osage Indians and their massacre and making it the first ever Western of his career in his 80s because he's got DiCaprio and De Niro and, of course, a, a lifetime of uh, brilliance. So, But those are really, really exceptions. You know, generally speaking, Hollywood is going to keep just cranking out these cookie-cutter sequels and as much of these superhero movies as they can the only thing that will really change it is if these superhero movies really start to, to, to disappoint. Now, we've seen that a little bit, right? The Rocks movie, Black Adam, was a disappointment. The Flash was definitely a disappointment. So if you get a few too many turkeys in a the row, they're like, you know what? We're not going to keep bringing these $200 million movies if we're not making our money back. Mm. But Hollywood is nothing if not recycled blockbusters. So... It's not going to change anytime soon, which is, again, why we should appreciate seeing movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer being in theaters at the same time.
0: We're talking to Adnan Verk here on Halford and Brough of the MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, got to, had to get our movie talk in, but we will move on to actual sports now, Adnan. So we're about a week away, just over a week away from the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. Obviously, the number one talking point is whether the Angels will actually do it, actually go through a fit and potentially trade Shohei Otani from where we stand right now, where would you put the likelihood of an Otani trade?
1: I like how you phrased it, because the question I keep getting asked the last week and a half is, is he going to get traded? And I just quickly say no. So I like when you say what's the likelihood. At least <laughs> I, can, I can give myself a little bit of breathing room. So I'll say 20% Okay, he gets traded. Now, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said you know, zero. But I really do think Artie Moreno's got to sit down there and pick really hard with Perry Menage, the GM of the Angels, and go, are we actually going to get in the playoffs? Because I don't think we are. Now, you can fool yourself into thinking so, but when you look at the playoff races right now, I think the Orioles and the Rays both get in. I think the Rangers win the West. Whoever the Central winner is, who cares, right? Twins or Guardians. It's going to be one team there. Yep. So you're fighting for two spots. Now, defending champion is Houston Astros. Jordan Alvarez, obviously, they're missing in for a while. They've got issues with their starting pitch. They're a little bit vulnerable. But the other defending champions, you got the Blue Jays, just you know, one against the Mariners. Maybe Manoa's back. I think a really talented team, especially when you look at their offense. I feel like the Jays should be in there. There's only two spots. Now you've got the Yankees, who are the Yankees. Aaron Judge is probably coming back, I believe, in the next week to 10 days. He's the second best player in baseball behind Otani. And clearly, with him in there, they're a much different team. So, in two months of Judge there, is that enough to propel them into the playoffs? And the Red Sox, don't sleep on them. They're two games back. Their offense is robust. My buddy Alex Cora as always, is always getting the best out of his team. And they're getting Sale back at some point. They're getting Garrett Whitlock back at some point. So, for the Angels, do you really think you're going to knock out one of those four teams? I don't think you are. So you have to say to yourself, we're going to lose him for nothing. Now, I don't think Artie Moreno wants to go to bed at night. I don't think he wants on his tombstone. I was the guy that traded Shohei Ohtani, one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. Mm. I think if he rides it out with Ohtani, on a four-year contract, he twice won MVP, and he'll still take huge sellout crowds the rest of the two months of the season. He'll take whatever merchandising he's in from Japan, et cetera, and just ride this thing out. And think at least in head, you know what? It's not a set of comp plays in a league. Like, I can resign. This isn't like the Rays where you're just destined to say, honestly, we can't afford this guy, it's over. The Angels can afford him, and they can pay him, and there's a chance that he would re-sign. And so I think Moreno might say, you know what, I think we could make the playoffs, as small as the chance is, and I do think I have a chance at re-signing him. And if I trade him, Otani very much is a creature of comfort. Everything I've heard is that if he goes somewhere for two months and he likes it, that really does give that team a huge leg up. So why would he want to give another team a leg up if he really feels in his heart he can re-sign Otani and he's got the money? So because of that, I, I just don't see it happening. Now, the 20% stems from if they go on a seven-game losing streak. because, you know, we have no chance. And guess what? I could always re-sign him anyways. Like I'll trade him with the Dodgers or the Giants or the Rays or the Braves, and I could always make a huge run at him in the offseason. But I, I think ultimately, if you trade a guy, now think of it like a relationship. If you break up with a girl and say, well, in a couple months, you might get back together, that breakup stings. <laughs> you know what I mean? No matter what, you casting her aside for a couple months, is going to hurt. So if you trade Otani... I don't think it would hurt his feelings, but it would definitely be a sign that you may not be the guy that is our long-term answer because we don't know if we can afford you. We don't know if you want to stay here, et cetera. I just don't see it happening. But honestly, it's better for the sport if he does because it's all we're going to keep talking about for the next week and a half. (laughs) And if he does get traded August 1st, that would be an incredible story for the team that gets the biggest story in baseball.
2: Well, let's lean into that 20% then, because he's obviously an incredible player. His last three seasons are about as unbelievable as anything we've seen in the sport, and yet the Angels are still a mediocre team. But for two months, if he comes over to a contending team and he's going to pitch and he's going to hit every day, what kind of impact could he have? Could he? Could, would, would he be the best rental a team has ever
1: had? I think so. I mean, because the way he's playing, he's putting up one of the greatest seasons, arguably the greatest season in baseball history. Like I was in the studio last night, as I mentioned, that when I saw him go deep, that 36th home run, like, you know, every at-bat is is must-be TV because you don't know what he's going to do. He's on pace for 60 home runs. He's going to challenge Judge's American League home run record set just a year ago. And his numbers are better than Judge in every other category. Like Judge hit 285. Well, Tony's hit 307. Like that's, Appreciably better. And my friend and, and teammate Dan Pleasick said to me, of all the numbers that's impressive, that's one that's shocking because most sluggers can hit 50 home runs, but like Pete is hitting 210, whereas Otani's still hitting for average. Like it's insane to hit that high. Oh, and by the way, he might strike out 220 batters. So I think any team that gets him says, All right, this guy's going to give us at least down the stretch. If you do the math, we're looking at least what, six to eight starts, and he's going to be every day in the DH? Like that's that's a pretty sizable impact, especially if you're a team right now battling for a playoff spot. Like, the Dodgers right now are in first place in the West. And I do think ultimately, when it's all said and done, he's going to be a Dodger. I don't think that L.A. would trade him. I think in the offseason, he's going to sign with the Dodgers. They can give him 12 years, $660 million. That's my prediction. And by the way, I think Steve Cole will say, I don't care. the Mets, I'll give him another $100 million more. Like, he'll, he'll, no. he will press a seven on that. He'll go... Okay, what's like he will tell Otani's camp, tell me what the best offer is. And we'll go, okay, Mariners went 10 for six and, you know, LA went 12 for 6. I'll go, okay, I'll give you $100 million more. Like, what? So he's like, yeah, I don't care. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll pull it over the water. I'll go 15 years, 750 How does that sound? Like, he does not care. So I think if it's just a matter of money, Steve Cole was not going to be denied. But again, the answer your question is yeah, I think just where he goes, of course, he'd make a huge impact down the stretch, especially because the teams that are being rumored are all teams in the playoff hunt. They would just get better. This isn't like he's going to the Padres or in the outset looking in. Like if he goes anywhere, it's Dodgers, mm-hmm. who are already awesome. The Rays, who have been awesome but have now been slipping. So you almost feel like the Rays could use a boost. They, they kind of need no Tani right now. They've lost 12 or 15 games. They're the worst team in baseball in July. The Orioles just took three or four against them. The Braves already loaded. Mariners is one that people keep throwing out. there. I just don't see it. Like they do have a collection of really good young pitching talent. And the story of you know the first great Japanese star in Ichiro now kind of passing the torch to Otani, like I get it, but at the end of the day, I still feel like that's not really in, in Seattle's MO to make that kind of an aggressive trade. DePaul likes to make moves, but I don't think he'll sell the farm to get Otani. But yeah, if he gets traded, it would be, it'd be amazing to see down the stretch.
0: Well, and, and that's part of it, right? And you're talking about the potential contract he could get, and that's going to be unprecedented. And one of the reasons, I agree with you, but I, I would put the likelihood of him being traded at relatively low is – it's just hard to kind of envision what the return package would be because we've never seen a player like this move, and the theoretical prospect cost or the you know young roster players cost uh, would be so astronomical. Like it, it's just it's going to be very difficult in practice, I think, to pull off a trade like this.
1: Yeah, I was thinking like what what would the trade actually look like, and uh, I was talking to my friend Joel Shriver of the New York Post. He said, "Well, we at least have the Soto." Trade as a benchmark, right? So they offered him 440, turned it down, which now feels foolish. And then I'm getting CJ Abrams, who's a stud. I just spoke to him the other day. He's a really nice guy, having a really nice season for the Nationals. He stepped it up. Mackenzie Gore's a very good young pitcher. So I think you'd look at like I would say three top ten prospects and two everyday players. Like I think it's a five for one, because you're getting only two months of the guy. Like it is mm. a rental, but he. He's one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. So I, I think you'd get three top ten prospects in your firm system and two everyday players, and maybe the Angels would throw somebody back just to make the money work and stuff. Bo Porter, the former Astros manager, whatever analyst at MLB Network, he still has the best idea I've heard, which was a month ago. He said, if you want Otani, you can have him. And by the way, it's going to be five for one, but you also got to take Rendon. I said, that's incredible. Uh-huh. He said, it's the Angels, you could just reset your organization. You go, yeah. I can just remove myself of this $250 million albatross Avoiding Rendon's contract, who hasn't played since July 4th, has been an absolute disappointment. It's going to be one of the worst contracts in the history of baseball. Great, you've got money, right? You're going to give Otani $600 million? Well, why not? Here's another log in the fire. Here's 250 to give Rendon. Oh, and I want your prospects too. That's a trade I would make. If I was working for I'd go, okay, fine. You want an Otani? I get three top prospects, two everyday players, and you take Rendon. Then fine, I'll do it.
2: You mentioned the Mets and and Steve Cohen. Uh, Is it fair to say, Adnan, that uh, beyond the Angels and Otani, they are a team with a particular interest to watch over the the week here, heading toward the deadline because of the veteran players that they have, the the disappointing season that they've had, and uh, the the fact that they have an owner who clearly is not afraid to spend money or throw money in in different directions?
1: I don't really think they're the team to watch right now because the problem is they don't have enough good prospects. So – if you look at these teams that have like the rich farm systems, it's your Dodgers with their young pitching, it's the Mariners with young pitching, it's the Rays with the position players. It's, you know, Baltimore actually has a ton of great young hitters. They've got like eight top one hitters in the top 100. Like those are the teams I'd be worried about as far as Slingley Otani. For the Mets, Francisco Alvarez looks like a stud. Their catcher is, is awesome. He'd have to be involved in a trade, and he could be a guy who's a great catcher for the next 10 years. After that, Brett Beatty's okay. Like he's, he's been an average third baseman. They called up Mark Bientist this year. He's been a disappointment. They don't have much, and they don't have any pitching prospects. And the biggest thing the Angels need is pitching. Every single year we go, man, the Angels need some pitching, especially if they trade O'Tani, who's their best pitcher, and a top-five pitcher in the American League. So I actually don't look at the match for the next week and a half because I don't know what Steve Cohn can do. I mean, he, he would literally give you everybody he could because he's aggressive and he's fearless, but I just don't think they have any prospects so that tantalizes for the Angels. The Mets, to me, are more focused when the season's over. And that's when Cohen can back up the truck and go, dude, I'll give you whatever you want. You're going to own New York City. I'll give you $700 million. Let's make this work. <laughs> so
0: Otani, obviously, the biggest name for for very many obvious reasons. What are some of the other individual players that you're watching who could uh, who could be interesting names to move ahead of the trade deadline?
1: Yeah, I think the best pitcher that can be moved is Marcus Stroman. He's top five right now in ERA. Of course, we know him from his time in Toronto. I heard some whispers when I'm going to Toronto. I said, there's no way. The guy like literally crapped all over the GM, the organization, on his way out of town. So <laughs> I can't imagine him back as a Blue Jay. as much as I liked him, and I, and I do like him as a pitcher. He's yeah, terrific at keeping the ball on the ground specifically, which really plays at Rogers Center. But he's having a great year. He's going to opt out of a He's got a three-year, $71 million contract, going into the final year of his deal. He's going to opt out. He's going to get at least twenty-five, if not thirty million dollars a year. He could get five years, one hundred fifty million dollars. So he's definitely opting out. So whoever gets Stroman, I'd love to see Baltimore. I'm really pushing hard for the Orioles because Camden Yards is arguably my favorite ballpark. I love going there. It's only a three-hour drive, so I, I'm hoping the O's can make some noise here come playoff time. And they've got such a fun, exciting team. Gunnar Henderson's an absolute blast. Ali Rutschman's a superstar. Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander. Like if they get some pitching, watch out. So I. I'm hoping somehow they can deal some of those young hitters they have. Colton Cowles is a really good prospect. You know, trade those guys and try to get Marcus Stroman there because he would really fit them well. Their starting pitching is really a weakness overall for Baltimore. Cody Bellinger is the other guy who's having an amazing resurgence. He's a great guy. Met him a few years back when he won the MVP. He's hit like 203 over the last three years. But he's back. He's been resurgent with the Cubs. And you've got to think Brian Cashman is burning up the phone right now to get him to New York. I just picture Bellinger in New York with that short fortune, right, he could do some awfully good damage and help them out at the DH position. Their offense has been really worrisome without Judge. You know, they're averaging under, I think, 3.6 runs per game, which is just paltry. And in this day and age, you can't win games like that. So, I think Bellinger, best position player. Stroman, best pitcher available, not named Otani.
0: You know, you mentioned the Orioles there, and uh, as you said earlier, they they go in and they win the series against the Rays. All of a sudden, they're two games up in the AL East. Can they hold off Tampa and not just make the playoffs, but win the division here?
1: I think so, and, and the reason why is, again, that, that quintet of young stars that I mentioned. You know, Rutch really is their leader and their figurehead, but Gunnar Henderson's really come on strong, really cool name. As I said to me, you know, with a name like that, you knew you were gonna be something special. Got, he's glad. gotta be
0: good with a name yeah, like yes, that.
1: Sir, I, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, I appreciate that. He's from Alabama, everything's yes sir, no, sir. But he's a he's a fantastic player. He's awfully fun to watch. I think he's gonna be top three in the rookie of the year bowling there with Matsutaki Yoshida and Josh Young of the Rangers. But Kowser I just mentioned got called up. They have high expectations for him. Their bullpen, by the way, is fantastic. New York, and you're can always really good. And Felix Botista's lights out, like point nine four ERA. I don't think he's giving up a run now in 28 straight innings. He might get some Cy Young votes. That's how good he's been as the close of the Orioles. He comes out, by the way, to the whistle from the wire. I asked him about that. I said, I, I, are you familiar with the wire? He said, no, no, but everyone told me about Omar coming and all this stuff. So, yeah, he comes out there. They, 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 they turn out the lights, and he comes out to the whistle of the wire. It's like, Omar coming. It's so cool. It's one of the coolest things out going. So, yeah, they're back into their bullpens amazing. Their position players are good. It's just their starting pitching. They've only got two guys radish and wells why would consider legit stars and other guys are just like bandits. so they they desperately need a starting pitcher but yeah they can win that division there's no doubt about that 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 response in tampa to me was noteworthy and tampa's really right now they're three and twelve yeah. it's a lot they've got to turn things around what's happened is their offense has just gone south every single one of their big players was overachieving they've all fallen back down to earth Juan franco randy lozarena yanni diaz the only guy who's been consistent so they they need to get their bats going, but yeah, I could see Baltimore in that division, but I do think Tampa makes the playoffs, and Tampa very much doing what New York did a year ago. Remember, the Yankees had an incredible first half, and we said, are they going to be better than the 98 Yankees? Then they slumped terribly, mm. barely made the playoffs, and eventually got ousted. So, similar kind of story with the Rays. Got off to an epic start, and now they're really floundering.
0: Adnan, appreciate the time. As always, man, you hit it all from uh, from Barbenheimer to Otani. We, we appreciate it. <laughs>
1: All right, Jamie Israel, thank you so much. Paul. I appreciate it. Go enjoy Barbieheimer
0: Thank you. That <laughs> is Adnan. that is Adnan Verk uh, of MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. Yeah, as Adnan said, like I I also have kids, so it's hard for me to uh, you know go to the movie theaters. Working this schedule, I'm I'm planning to hit a matinee at some point this week by myself, as Adnan prefers as well. Uh, I got to be honest, it's probably going to be Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see Barbie. I'm curious, but I got to prioritize, so it's probably going to be Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is the longer commitment anyway. That's true. Three hours.
3: I'm seeing it today at IMAX in uh, Richmond, and this is the first Ooh. first IMAX movie I've seen. Well, actually, I saw Top Gun on IMAX, but I rarely ever ever see films in IMAX just because it's quite a ways off from, far, sure. off from where I live. But yeah. if there is one movie you watch in IMAX, you got to do it. At Oppenheimer. The whole movie was filmed. With an IMAX camera, mm-hmm. which correct me if I'm wrong, is the first time that's ever happened. They actually developed a new black and white IMAX camera just for this movie. Like Nolan actually invented the technology, so this is like the movie to see in IMAX if you can make the trek. Going to be totally worth it. The Oppenheimer nuggets from this. I guy. haven't even Look seen. It. I haven't even seen it yet. And
2: if you wait out front at the theaters, you can get an A dog autograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The IMAX. So tell us, you're Richmond. going
0: to Richmond. Yeah. What yeah. what time is the showing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What yeah. seat are you sitting in? Big celebrity sighting. Yeah, right. Okay.
3: <laughs> it, I'm stoked though. Like it, it, the movie looks fantastic, I, and actually, I cannot it's a, wait. It's I a, mean, I love
0: Christopher Nolan in general, but the cast list alone yeah. is just phenomenal. It's a good call to see it in IMAX. See, I will say I'm not the biggest Nolan guy, but I was very. I liked what Adnan had to say, which is it's different. Like I didn't love Inception. Obviously, The Dark Knight was mm-hmm. great. I, the great superhero movie. I didn't love Inception, but it sounds okay. like this is a little different. Well, and it's I'm his first ever biopic that. for sure yeah. and
3: I mean the cast I mean apparently Robert Downey Jr is almost unrecognizable which alone is pretty cool cuz he's been playing like you know yes. the same character Very for 20 recognizable years. Now, so character, yeah. yeah, so I mean there's some, apparently some fantastic performances in it so yeah it's going to be it's going to be good.
0: Well, we will uh, I look forward to getting your review on the on the show tomorrow. tomorrow. Spoiler free. Don't tell us whether they successfully build the bomber. Uh, I won't. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) I'll keep it spoiler-free. Okay,
0: keep it spoiler-free. We will take a break here, 650-650. I do want to talk a little bit more about Shohei Otani, what he's doing, uh, the whole dilemma that the Angels are facing about whether or not to trade him. We have an open segment, so uh, hit us up with anything that's on your mind as well, 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots more coming up here. It is Half and Bruff on... Sportsnet 650. The People's Show,
2: your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now.
0: Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in for Halford and Bruff for the next couple of weeks. They are long gone on vacation somewhere. I'm sure they made tracks out of the studio as soon as the show ended on Friday. Uh, Halford and Bruff Brough brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, and, of course, we do have what we learned coming up here uh, in the final hour of the show and at 830 specifically, so you can get your text in 650-650. Uh, I am a little nervous because I have a legacy of screwing up transitioning <laughs> to the what we learned segment on this show and i thought i had it all sorted in my mind but there's a new procedure since i've last filled in yes so i have a new thing to screw up you do no pressure <laughs> and i have a lot of confidence in myself that i will screw it up oh uh, you'll be fine but yes we have a we
3: have an intro for what we learned now and uh Met to much uh, critical acclaim. This I, is this is my Oppenheimer. Well, here's dangles. the thing.
0: I've heard it. Like, it's not even the, the reason I screwed up. It's not that I don't listen to the show. I actually, in fact, I I'm usually around what we learn time. I finish dropping my kids off at daycare and I mm. get back in the car and I, I turn it on. So yeah. like, I do listen. I have a chance. It just apparently does not stick in my mind it's a whatsoever. Major blind spot. It's for different. You. It, I guess it's, the point is, it's different when you're listening and you're just like, yeah, this sounds great. Great theme song that Andy put together. And then I'm in this chair, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> what, what's going on? It's the dog on the computer. That meme is what we learn time. <laughs> oh, you spoiled it! Don't do you? it now. You're going to confuse people, Ballard. All right, he's trying to false alarm. You. It is not what we learn time. Before. It is not what we learn time. Uh, indeed, that's coming up at eight thirty. So you make sure you tune in one to hear how I screw it up in a, a new, exciting way than how I normally screw it up, but also to get. Uh, your submissions and hashtag WWL what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports I've got a good one I'm very excited about mine so uh, I'm looking forward to I'm what not we learned. <laughs> and I hope the dogs are hard at work coming up I hope Balik's got like five goaltending related ones I-, I never have one but I actually do today Ooh, what a tease yeah I'm lots of very... goalie
3: news going down in July I was gonna 24th say,
0: well yeah I'm sure you can dig <laughs> it up I'm sure you can dig it up Balik all right um, so we're looking forward to that I did want to uh, continue the Shohei Otani discussion a little bit and obviously we're getting into it there with uh, with Adnan Burke as the trade deadline comes up and there does seem to be at least some possibility I'm with Adnan, I don't think it will happen it's just so complicated for so many different reasons, but there does seem to be some possibility that the Angels trade Shohei Otani before next week's trade deadline hopefully to the Mariners just to make Laddie upset I mean look It'd be cool. <laughs> I'm sure it It'd won't happen. It would be weird. It would be a weird trade by Hi- the way. Highly unlikely. Of course. Yeah, highly highly unlikely, but hey, I have no problem with it. Um it's so like we're in this I would say sports fans nowadays, so many of us, we're like hyper rational, right? It's it's there's there's less there seems to be less I don't want to say emotional attachment, but it's more about it's like just do whatever you have to do to win a championship, right? And hey, you got it. Otani's going to leave. He's a, he's a free agent. He's going to leave. You have to trade him, right? That's the standard we tend to operate in now. And I think that's how a lot of teams operate, right? Like, look at the Calgary Flames. They lose Johnny Gaudreau. They're saying, we're never going to do that again. We're never going to lose a UFA for nothing ever again. We're going to do everything we can to stop that. And I understand that. But I am curious. I was trying to kind of put myself, if I was an Angels fan, how I would feel about this. Because Ohtani is not, like, he's not Johnny Gaudreau. He's something completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, we we throw unicorn around a lot, right? But this is actually a unicorn. Like, we have never seen this before. Who knows when we'll see it again in Major League Baseball. A guy who is at the very, very top of the profession as both a hitter and a pitcher. Like, truly unique in the history of the sport. There might The rational case might be... Well, look, you're not going to make the playoffs, and you you don't know if you're going to be able to re sign him. There's going to be tons of bidders, including, you know, Steve Cohen and the Mets and maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers. You have to do the rational thing and trade him and get that, you know, five for one deal that Adnan's talking about. I don't know, though, if I could buy into that as not just the GM of the Angels or the ownership of the Angels, but even as a fan. Like, there's something to be said. I think I would be sitting here saying, I just want this guy in my team's uniform for as long as possible. And even if it ends with us missing the playoffs, like I would rather have the final two months of watching Shohei Otani do Shohei Otani things in an Angels uniform than the future prospect value because it's so unique and it's so special. It supersedes, okay, maybe it's better for, you know, winning a World Series in 10 years, but it's so hypothetical. It's like I'd rather just watch the. It's not even generational. They're like once in a century superstar mm-hmm. that's on our team right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. and I do I do believe that Otani comes in a category beyond that rational fan. I think one, by all accounts, the package, and Adnan mentioned uh, the Soto package being somewhat of uh, a building block for for the mm-hmm. Otani trade. You're, you're still probably going to be underwhelmed by the return. You are! And so if you're an Angels fan, and it's, it's two parts. The first part is simply the next two months, getting to watch this guy make yep. another handful of starts and maybe make a run at 50 or 60 home runs is worth something. And then there probably still is, in the back of your mind, maybe just maybe he'll stay. That's, and you have to think that if you trade him... That the even if it's let's say 5% that he stays right now and they don't trade him, you're slashing that even further once he once he gets moved. Yeah, and
0: let's say it is 5%. I would rather have a 5% chance at retaining Shohei Otani than like the best prospect package that's ever been traded in Major League Baseball. You know what I mean? Unless you get. Unless you get a true elite player, like somebody who's going to be an MVP or Cy Young type of player out of that package. As you said, you're going to be underwhelmed. Or it's like if you get, you know, a guy who's like a, a really good second baseman for you. It's, you it's know, just not the same. It's like, uh, okay. You can find those guys. You can't find <laughs> Shohei Otani anywhere. I would rather have the 5% chance that he stays than whatever you're going to get. And you know, the Juan Soto package is like, yeah, I don't know. That's not that great. I mean, it's good in terms of trade packages, but is it enough to justify punting on a talent like Shohei Otani? Because I think that's the other part of it, is there's just kind of a psychological thing of giving up. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of giving up on this on this moment where you have this incredible it, like,
2: phenom. anytime—teams are so afraid of talking rebuild, right? It's this yeah. thing throughout sports that— GMs and owners refuse to. I mean, we can talk about the Canucks and the history of avoiding teams revils. afraid of rebuilding. You say <laughs> this is so weird. I've to never me. talked about. Any I have of those never teams. heard of this. Trading Otani would require it. It, it will take the biggest marketing sell job oh. from a front office about what you're trying to do as a professional sports team. Anybody can get traded. Right? Wayne Gretzky was traded. Yep. Any type of player can be traded but given the context of where the angels are at which is with otani have been a mediocre team Mm -hmm. if then you are trading this player and not you know I, i think i would as the angels owner go down swinging yeah with i'm trying to keep this transcendent player i will do whatever it takes and then if he leaves and that seems to be the likely outcome Then you can regroup with, well, we tried and we're still committed to winning. You trade him, then you have to immediately start going to the the biggest rebuild sell job ever. I mean, like you see the Flyers are doing right now, right? The Flyers were a team that was scared of rebuild. And hey, we're the Flyers. We always have to be competitive. And now they get a new GM in he's been empowered by ownership. They're trying to trade everybody. They take the guy in the draft. That's not able to yep. come over for a number of years. We're going all upside and it's taking an effort. I think fans there have gotten frustrated to the point where, and, and like they don't have an Otomi well, that's type the thing, player, right? And it's still a big sell job that you but. have to be so relentless. And this yeah. would be that, times 100 it would be
0: like if the flyers had traded Connor mcdavid to start rebuilding you know what i mean like that's kind of what we're talking about it's like well okay he was a ufa but still he was Connor mcdavid we had the best player in the league why are we rebuilding well, so all let's, of a sudden let's say
2: edmonton doesn't win the cup in the next yeah. two or three years the, the years that mcdavid has yeah. left and he is potentially a rental now i would imagine that he would get offered a massive contract yes. by Edmonton once he's eligible to sign an extension. But let's say that doesn't happen. He's in an OTANI situation. It would be mind-boggling if he was a rental, right? Yeah. If we're talking about it in the hockey context. And Otani is is that. He's a rental. Yeah. And it's it's the point about the
0: sell that you would have to make and just kind of how you'd how you would have to message it, you would really be going from the greatest marketing chip in baseball to not just not having that, taking that away. And you're already mediocre, as you said. So you're not, yeah. not going to get you better come back from that. That's the thing. Like you have to, you're, you are always going to be the team that punted on Shohei Otani that said, you know what? We don't think we're going to sign him, and we're not really that good. Then so you may as well just whatever fold the franchise,
2: honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, seriously. Like
2: it's at that it's level. It's bad enough. They wasted 10 years of Mike Trout. <sighs>
0: How do you have Trout and Otani at the same time? And not finish still, above five hundred. Still both playing incredibly well and just be like, eh, we're not very good.
2: Just saying ten years of wasted Mike Trout out loud is just sad. It is like, really it's sad. It's depressing, isn't it? I, trout it was it be... during the WBC where like he was so into it and then like he did an interview with Mookie Betts. Yeah. And Mookie Betts is like yeah, it was really weird seeing you all fired up about this. And then I realized, like, you've never won a playoff game. And Mike Trout was so – he was so sad. Mookie Bats yeah. firing shots yeah. at Mike Trout. Oh, boy. I mean, he, he, he really – he buttered him up. Because yeah, yeah, he listed, he's yeah, yeah. like, you're a three-time MVP, ten-time Silver Slugger. You've won all of this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And you've never won a playoff game. Mike Trout might be
0: still like one of the most underrated athletes of the last twenty-five years because he's never been in a big game, right? Like he's never been on center stage. And part of that is his personality. He's he's a bit of a, a shyer guy. We don't get a chance to see it all. But like the Angels have just been so incredibly irrelevant for his entire tenure. It's it's kind of a miracle that O'Tani like, I mean, Otani was gonna break out anywhere, but like even the Angels haven't been able to hold back. <laughs> People getting excited I know. about Shohei Otani. Uh this one says, I'm a local Angels fan. This is 650, 650 to the dunbar Lumber text line. I'm a local Angels fan. I would rather keep him, pay the big dollars, and enjoy the show. Trade Trout for a soto-ish package. That's interesting, saying I'd rather trade Mike Trout uh than Shohei Otani. Glenn in Richmond says LA should trade Otani and then resign him in the offseason uh to a vastly improved team. Uh that is from Glenn in oh, you'd
2: rather trade the Porsche than the Ferrari. Oh, okay, that's, that's a tough choice to make.
0: <laughs> this guy says, Is it harder to come back from keeping and then losing Ortani or trading and then or trading him? I, I think it's harder to come back from trading him. one
2: of them is a perception, and the other yeah. is, is asset. If you keep him through, and I think the way baseball players think, losing the perception battle is yeah. going to be worse. I know, like, I brought this up. I did a show with Bic a couple weeks ago. We talked to Ino Saris, and I asked him that question. If they punt on Otani, what is the perception of the yeah. Angels going to be? And he said, look, the Angels already have a mediocre perception, but they signed Anthony Rendon mm-hmm. and Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton because they gave them the most money. Mm-hmm. So, sure, some baseball players will still go there for the most money and not care about the mediocrity. But look at how all those deals worked out. <laughs> but this is I think you're just you're doubling, tripling down on that reputation. And yes, again, I'm granting that if the Angels decide that they want to sign the next big free agent and give him do the Steve Cohen and say we'll give you a hundred yeah. million more, that some players will be attracted to that. But that is you're paying such a premium at that point. And that yeah, we're like you said, Jamie, like look how those deals turned out. That's not a winning formula. No. And I do think there's a difference between
0: proactively trading him and losing in the free agency sweepstakes, right? Because we all know the score. He's going to be a free agent. Free agents leave sometimes. They get courted by other teams. Somebody backs up the Brinks truck, and it's going to be truly incredible to see what the offers are like for Otani. I don't think there's any shame in that necessarily, in losing a guy to free agency. It happens. You want to go somewhere else. You want to go to a team with a better chance to win. That happens. There's something more shameful and I think that's kind of the word we're dancing around here there's something more shameful about trading a talent like Shohei Otani especially when it's not as if they have no hope at the playoffs they're probably not going to make it but it way stranger things have happened in Major League Baseball down the stretch like you could make the playoffs it's not out of the question you're not a last place team to give up on your season and on that player in that circumstance I think again it's just a different perception than losing somebody to free agency. Now you could say to bring back the Johnny Gaudreau example, they lost him in free agency, and that was a big hit to their psyche. And I think but part the of bigger, that is the,
2: like let's be realistic. The bigger reason Calgary was not good last year was because Matthew Kachuk was not on their roster. Yeah, hundred percent. And Jonathan Huber. Doesn't if John- live up- Johnny Gaudreau leaves as a free agent, that's that's bad asset management. Yep. There's no denying that. But if Matthew Kachuk is still on the couch, he he was the more impactful player. And when you're losing two impact players at once, it becomes a different conversation than simply losing that player. Yeah. And we can do the cross sports comparison. Like One of the examples that comes to mind is, and and probably to your point, Jamie, from earlier about how fans are so tuned into stuff like asset management. And you can't let a guy, like we've got some texts coming in. Uh, The idea that you'd let McDavid or Otani walk rather than trade him is stupid. You cannot lose him for nothing. If he says he's not going to sign, you trade him. That's it. Now, I think back to when Albert Pujols left St. Louis Mm. and signed with the Angels. And now he was a little bit older than Otani and the age McDavid will be when he hits free agency. But he left, and the idea at the time that the Cardinals were going to let Albert Pujols walk, who at that point had put together 10 seasons that were almost unlike anything in the history of the sport, was seen as a huge disaster. And then what do you know? He signs with the Angel. His career sort of falls off. The Cardinals remain a pretty competitive team throughout that run. Sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world, but we have become so – Expecting of well, the guys you got to trade them. Yep. You need to you need to get as many assets back as you can without necessarily thinking about what those assets.
0: And are I about. will say to the texter's point, he says uh, if he says he's not going to sign, you trade him. That's it. If it's a zero percent chance that Otani resigns with you, that does change the conversation. I, I think it does change the conversation a little bit. I'm not saying it makes it a slam dunk then that you have to trade him. But if you know there's no
2: chance whatsoever well, it's, it's the, that he's it's signing. the Matthew Kachuk. I'm, not, exactly. I'm never going to sign an extension with you. Okay, we'll explore. A That's a totally different circumstance, I think. In this
0: situation, it's not out of the picture. It's not completely out of the question that he does sign with the angels. I think that's the difference for me, right? You'd be doing it just because you're basically scared of losing him. You'd be you'd be operating scared, out of fear like, "Ah, we we can't lose this guy, so we're going to give up on him." And again, it comes back to how like how much would the package have to increase your future world series odds for you to give up on the you know, 2% or 5% chance of signing Otani. And for me, like, that number would have to be astronomical. You Mm -hmm. would have to think, like, we're getting back an ace starter and a middle-of-the-order hitter at the bare minimum here before you can really consider it because you're, you're just giving up too much potential, not just in terms of winning with Otani, but the marketing, the financial side of things, the connection with your fans, right? Like, you're robbing your fans of a chance to see this totally unique superstar do his thing day after day. And I think that would be really, really that would be really hard to stomach. uh, If I was an angels fan, this one says just offer him the 600 million and then make a move. If he doesn't sign it, I mean, he's going, he's not going to sign an extension now. Like he's going to is hitting free. He's going to test free agency and see what's out there. The wild thing is that 600 million is not going to get it done, (laughs) which is absolutely incredible to think about. Uh, but it's probably not going to, uh, get it done, which is, uh, really, really remarkable. Uh, this one says, uh, if, uh, so, or sorry, says, uh, my guess is the angels keep Otani, uh, and he resigns. I mean, that would be big for them. Like that's obviously the best case scenario. That would be a huge a huge win for a franchise that has just never been able to get out of its own way and has like squandered two historic talents to this point in their career. It would be really impressive if they were able to outbid the Mets, the Dodgers, like the the
2: true heavy hitters financially in the league and keep Otani there. Yeah. Well, the thing is no cap, right? So we're, we're talking about a different equation than we are in hockey. And that this is the text that I was waiting for. And I wanted to yeah. prod Canucks fans with the idea of, Elias Patterson is not mm. signed by the deadline of his UFA minus one season. In this texter's opinion, you need to go out and get assets for him. Failing to do so is an absolute travesty on understanding how to manage a professional sports team. That's what you're looking at right now. Five percent is not enough of a gamble to get nothing in return. Elias Patterson has not. He he has said he likes Vancouver, yep. but he has not signed an extension. Yep. He has not said I you know I only want to play here. There are. I'm not trying to stir things up, but there, it, it is not an absolute slam dunk. Yeah. At least based on reporting and reading into what he has said. And so that, would are Canucks fans going to get on that ship and say, okay, if Pedersen's not committing, then you trade him. And then to what? what is the percentage? And in this Texter's opinion, 5% is not enough. So what what does it have to well, be? Well, and I will say, I think it's a different conversation.
0: Like Elias Pedersen, phenomenal player. Right, has the chance to be one of the best players in this franchise's history, certainly already one of the most talented players in this franchise's history, in the Canucks history. He's not Shohei Otani. He's not unique amongst the history of the NHL in the way Otani is, right? And that's a big part of the conversation for me, is that Otani transcends, I think, in a lot of ways the normal conversations and the normal way of doing business. If you're a, if you're a sports team like Pedersen saying he doesn't want to sign a contract, that would be devastating. Don't get me wrong. That's really hard to come back from. It is, but it's still at least a little difference, a little different than a player like Shohei Otani, who we've never seen before. Do somebody do what he's able to do? It would be a little different, right? So I think it's interesting conversation. Like if you're in, if you're staring that down and Elias Pedersen hasn't signed uh, an extension by the time he's you know going into the deadline in his UFA year. How do you manage that? Is it worth trading a player like that? And, of course, it all comes back to you know where you are as a team. Are you close to the playoffs? Like, what does the future look like for you? All of that. That's all important. It is different when it's somebody like Otani who is – Unique, like truly, truly unique. Uh, 650-650, we can get more into that conversation as the show continues. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your what we learns in as well. We will talk a little bit of uh, Toronto Blue Jays baseball coming off the series in Seattle. Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun joins us next. It is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650.